Well, we are going to continue on today with our look into the letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to Christian people who were scattered into all various countries because of their mistreatment for their faith. They had been not, they were, they were misliked because of their faith. They were scattered around and Peter writes them a letter of encouragement and um, he was writing to them because they felt like square pegs in round holes in their society. That's what they really felt like. It's like they just didn't fit. I was making a joke this morning. I said, when we designed our picture for the series, what we should have really done, as I don't fit, is we should have had a guy trying to pull on skinny jeans. That would have been a better picture, right? Saying, I just don't fit. And they all said I was wrong about that, but that was because I ate too many pudgy pies, and that's why I thought about it. But um, that's the truth. But anyways, that's what they felt like. They felt like square pegs in round holes. And I think for a lot of us, um, you probably feel the same way. Kind of in the society we live in today, you're like, has this place gone mad? Has the world gone insane? And you look at it and you say, up seems down and right seems wrong. And, and you're just kind of like, it's gone. Well, that's the world they lived in. They felt like square pegs and round holes. And, um, and so that's, what he, that's, what he's, that's who he's writing to. And what I want to do today is we're going to look at First Peter, just a really small section today is I want to start off before we get to the text by explaining a little bit about how Peter structured this letter. And you go, that sounds boring. Well, it's not going to be boring. It's a little review, but it's important. And the reason that it's important is because if we don't understand what he, how he structured it, we'll kind of miss what he's trying to accomplish and what he's trying to tell us. We'd miss the message he's trying to tell us. And so let's remember, what's he trying to accomplish? He's writing to encourage these Christians who are being mistreated because of their faith um, and in encouraging them, it's kind of an interesting the way he encourages them, because it's not maybe the way we would think you would encourage someone. That he doesn't just jump out and say, oh, you poor little babies, I feel so bad for you, everything's going to be all right in the end, I feel sorry for you. He doesn't do that at all. Um, he does encourage them, but he, he basically is reminding them of things as a way of encouragement. So in this first chapter, he reminds them about, the, about three things. Um, that what we're he's reminding them because these things will strengthen them and give them courage to stand strong and move ahead because that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about to them in this book about just standing strong, we'll just make it till the end. He's like, no, I'm going to encourage you today so you have the strength you need to move forward and advance the kingdom of God as you're living in these difficult times. That's his objective in this. And so what we saw in the, the first two Sundays, because we're into week three of this, the first two Sundays that we looked at that, um, we saw there's, the, and then the counting today is introduction. These three weeks are kind of an introduction, and they each, they look at three different things that Peter tells these Christians that if they'll get their mind wrapped around these things and they'll live into them, that they'll have the strength they need to stand strong and to move ahead in a challenging environment. And the first thing he wrote to them about what we looked at at week one was um, that he wanted to remind them of their true identity in Christ. That as Christians, he said, you're chosen aliens. He said an alien is one who doesn't fit in the homeland where they are. They're not in their homeland. They're in a different country. So you're aliens. You don't really fit, and you're, but you're chosen by God. And as chosen aliens, he told them they're being transformed into the character of Jesus by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And he promises that in this environment, in this difficult environment, God is working in you and he's going to continue to work on you and help you become more like Jesus. He shows that our identities 
excuse me, are not set by the, what the world says about us. They're not set by our circumstances. Who I am is not established by, by what I do, by what I own. And a lot of times in our, in our world, we think how somebody is by what they own, what possessions they have, or the job they have, or what other people say about them. He says none of those things um, are, are true to what your true identity is. He says your true identity as a Christian is who you are in Christ. And that's what he looked at in the very first of the beginning, chapter 1, and we looked at it week 1. Then the second thing he was give, telling them that they could stand upon is he, he wrote about what God was up to in their lives now in the present moment. Remember, he did it that way by he looked back. He said, well, here's what happened. Then he looked forward. This is what's going to happen. And he said, but right now, this is what's happening. What was happening in their life wasn't a lot of fun. He, he, we called it uncomfortable grace. That they were living in grace, so it was uncomfortable, and that he was writing to them about is that their lives were a lot like, some, like a metal that was being heated up. He used the illustration of a metallurgist. Your life's being heated up, trials are coming, um, heat's being turned up by the society around you, but God's using that environment to make you better, that the dross is rising to the top, the imperfections of your life are rising to the top so that God can take those off and make you better. And that if we go through trials, he's saying trials actually accomplish good things in our lives. He goes, you're going through trials right now, but God has a plan in those, and that's in order to help you become stronger, and your faith will be proven to be real, and you'll be purified. And that in God's economy, trials aren't a sign that God has forgotten about us, which is what we often think. I go through difficulty and we say, oh no, where's God? God doesn't love me. God's not around. How come everything's going bad? God must be mad at me. And he's like, no, 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 no. God's not mad at you at all. He says, trials aren't a sign that God has forgotten about you or doesn't love you. Rather, they are opportunities that God uses, doesn't cause, but uses to help us to get better, to grow in our faith, like metal that's heated up, gold that's heated up so the imperfections rise to the top. So those are the first two things he reminds them of. Now today we're going to look at the third one in just a minute. And the third thing that Peter writes about to equip Christians to be able to stand strong and advance in times of difficulty is what we're going to look at here. And um, in these verses, Peter wants to help us get a glimpse into the amazingness of our salvation. So week one, identity in, Christ, in who you are. Week two, hey, God's doing something right now through your trials. Week three, he's saying, I want you to get a glimpse into the amazingness of your salvation. He wants us to consider how awesome it is to be a follower of Jesus. And he's used the term this way. It's awesome to, this to be saved. And we know that means to be set free from sin and death. To be a Christian, he's saying, is wonderful. And Peter knows that if we can just get a glimpse into what it really means to be in Christ, to be saved, then no amount of difficulty in the world, feeling like you're out of place, no amount of difficulty in the world will be able to dampen your spirits. And now that's what we're going to look at in just a moment. And we won't, we won't get to, to something today, but let me just get under, explain it so you understand the structure here, that the reason he's doing this is he's saying, here's these three things to stand upon, because what we're going to look at next week, starting in verse 13, he's going to say, now based on that, based on these three things, now let's get going to what God has asked us to do. So that's why the structure is important. These things are not disconnected. He's saying, here's three really important things for you to know about your walk with Jesus, 
about the trials you're going through right now. That they have a purpose. That God is doing something on, pur- on, on purpose in your life. That God is accomplishing something. He hasn't forgotten you. He, all this stuff is happening. Your salvation is wonderful. And based on understanding that, now let's get about the, the business of being Christians. So that's what we're going to start at next week. That's the structure. But before we get to that, let's look at this third topic. This idea of our amazing salvation. So First Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at just verses 10 through 12. So open up your Bible. You're probably there by now or fire up your phone. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse, verse 10, says this. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person that, or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them, that, that the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Look how he starts this section off. As to this salvation. He's talking about the salvation that we have. That's his topic. To understand what Peter is writing about here as to this salvation, let's look back a couple verses because it kind of explains why he said that. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, And though you have not seen him, and him is Jesus, though you have not seen him, has anybody seen Jesus? No, not really. I said that one time I was preaching the street mission when I was in college, and a guy stood up and goes, Yeah, I just saw him on the corner of this and this. And he really did. And I'm like, uh, Okay, it was a rhetorical question. But we know this. We haven't seen Jesus. As, so verse 8, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you not see him now, you but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And he says, and as to this salvation, as to what he's just written about. He says, we we obtain as the outcome of our faith the salvation of our souls, which he says causes us to rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. He's saying this amazing salvation that causes us to rejoice with a joy that's so wonderful. He says it's inexpressible. It's full of glory. He says as to this salvation. That's what he's writing about. In this section, Peter is focusing on our salvation. He's reminding mistreated Christians about what they do have. You know, there's a saying that Jan Johnson, who was one, a professor I had, um, used to always say, um, do what you can, not what you can't. We talked about that a lot this week when we were on vacation because we were dealing with elderly parents going through problems. That was basically our whole week was dealing with a mom with Alzheimer's and a dad who's losing his sight. And that was a, it was a challenging week, the whole week. And, and we kept reminding, talking about, well, do what you can, not what you can't. And that's kind of what Peter is doing here. He's saying he reminds mistreated Christians about what they do have, not about what they are losing or what they are enduring. He says, as Christians, you are saved. You have salvation. And my thought is, do we really grasp what that means? And from Scripture, we understand what it means that before you came to put your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, that you and I were totally lost. We were spiritually dead. We were without hope for eternity. We were chained by sin and unable to get free. 
But God himself saved us. God himself set us free. He chose while we were in sin and rebellion to set us free, to save us. He gave his life in our place to pay for our sin debt by dying on a cross for us. And by doing that, what did he do? He saved us. The Apostle Paul, not the Apostle Peter, but the Apostle Paul explains it like this in his letter to the church at Ephesus. He said, remember that you were not at that time separate from, you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter is talking about, the same thing that Paul is talking about. Salvation isn't about joining a church. Salvation isn't about believing some particular points of doctrine or being nice or doing good things in the world. No, it's not about that. It's so much more than that. It's about responding to God's offer to be rescued from damnation and hopelessness. It's about being brought into a real and a loving relationship with God, the only true God. Paul says, you were far off and now you have been brought near in Christ. That's what salvation's all about. And Peter says about salvation here, it's all by grace. Look at verse 10. As to this salvation... The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Salvation by grace. It's all by grace. But I wonder if we really grasp what that means. We say it so often, saved by grace, but do we really think about what it means? It means that we don't deserve it. That's what saved by grace means. It means you don't deserve it, and I don't deserve it. It means we didn't and can't do anything to earn it. It means no amount of effort can achieve it. It means that it's not about you and it's not about me, that it's all about him. It's all about God and what God has done for us. Salvation by grace, salvation by, we usually think of it this way, undeserved favor is about what God has done about the human dilemma. The human dilemma, sin rendered mankind lost. Sin rendered mankind damned, powerless to do anything about it, and that's a dilemma. You're in a spot where you're lost and you can't find a way out. It's a dilemma. Salvation by grace tells us that God solved the human dilemma. God, according to the scriptures, before anything was ever created, the Bible says, had already decided that he would solve the human dilemma of sin separating man from God, leading to losses and damnation, that God himself, the Son of God, one-third of the eternal trinity, one-third of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the very Son of God, would leave the glory of the trinity and become a human with all of the limitations and pain and problems that that involves. And as a man, God himself would allow wicked men to kill him. He allowed that. Beyond that, he designed that process so that his death would pay the penalty that each of us deserves to pay because of our own sin debt. That's what salvation by grace is all about. God did it all. We only respond to it. God did it all. God arranged it all. God does it all. It always has been his plan to rescue us 
when there was no answer on how we could rescue ourselves. And friends, this is what Peter is getting at. When in his explanation of salvation by grace here, he talks about the prophets. You wonder why he does that? He talks about the prophets that foretold about Jesus' coming. Look at this one. Look at verses 10 and 11 again. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. He's talking about our, our, our salvation here by grace. He's saying it's all about the activity of God towards us, not our activity. We only respond to it. And it's, that, it's about God's loving activity towards us. And he says, and that's how you know it. You know how you know it? He brings up the prophets. He said, the prophets, the holy men and holy women of God, received revelation about Jesus coming long before he came. And notice what it says about how the prophets knew what would come in the future pertaining to Jesus as Savior. What's it say here? How did they know what was going to happen? He says, the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. How did they know what was to come pertaining to Christ? Jesus himself, it says the spirit of Christ within them. Jesus himself was letting them know what his plan was long before he ever came to earth to live it out. Long before Jesus came, hundreds of years in the case of some prophets, thousands of years in the case of other prophets, um, before Jesus ever came to earth through Mary, he was working out his plan for the salvation of mankind. He was letting the prophets uh, know about what he was going to do, and they were writing it down as scripture, so that when he then came to mankind in the incarnation, which we celebrate at, at Christmas, and then he suffered and he died and he rose again, we could see through the writings that they had written down that it was all his plan all along. He predicted his own suffering and glory, and the prophets recorded it so that we would know that it was his plan all along. So when Isaiah the prophet wrote hundreds of years before Jesus' time, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth in Isaiah 53. He was writing by the Spirit of Christ what Christ himself was saying, that's how I'm going to live and die and when David, the psalmist, wrote, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothes, they cast lots. When he wrote that down, these were words Jesus himself, by the Spirit, had given the prophets to record so that years and years and actually millennium later, we could look back and see that it was Jesus' plan all along. Friends, that's salvation by grace. He wasn't reacting to what happened. He planned what was going to happen. It was always all about God. All along, Jesus was working out the rescue plan that would rescue lost humanity. He was solving the human dilemma. God did it all for us. And that's why Peter says it's salvation by grace. And this message then, and today, is proclaimed, he says, well, how? By preachers. Simply people sharing the story. If we look at that, when it talks about preachers, it's not talking necessarily about somebody like me, who's a preacher. You go, hey, pastor or preacher, I make my job talking about Scripture. The, the, the word really there is, is about just 
really common people preaching, speaking the truth. That he's saying that the message is brought by preachers. But notice what Peter says about how this message of salvation is preached by those preachers. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you with these things, which now you have announced to you, to, to those um, who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. These things which are now announced to you through those who preached it, whether it's a preacher or it's your neighbor talking about what Jesus has done in their lives, preaching the gospel by what? The Holy Spirit sent from heaven. How is the gospel preached? By the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not man's ability. You say, oh, Pastor Mark, that sermon on Sunday was really good. Or, oh, Pastor Mark, that sermon on Sunday was really bad. It's never been about a human ability. It's not about human wisdom. It's not about human charisma that enables someone to hear the gospel and then believe the gospel and be changed by the gospel and be saved by the gospel. It's not because somehow some preacher could convince you or coerce you into believing something. No, what Peter is getting at here, it is rather the activity of the Holy Spirit through that person. In other words, the person doesn't really matter. It's not about the person preaching. It's about the Holy Spirit doing his work. Only the Holy Spirit, who is God, can open a person's blind eyes to see the truth of what's going on in the world around them and their need for salvation. Only the Holy Spirit, who is God, can open up ears that before couldn't understand the truth of why they need a Savior. And somehow, you're sitting here today because you heard the truth and somehow you understood, wait a minute, that's speaking about me and I need a Savior. That never came because some pastor coerced you. It's because the Holy Spirit within you was working within you and allowing you to hear, allowing you to understand, allowing you to see the truth. Only the Holy Spirit can help someone come to the reality of the truth of the gospel. That's how he could say in verse 8, even though you have not seen him, you love him, even though you don't see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice. That doesn't make any sense. Unless it's all about the activity of the Holy Spirit. Because I don't see him and I don't feel him and I don't see him. How can I rejoice greatly? How can I love him? Why? Because the Holy Spirit within us is making him real to us. It's the Holy Spirit that enables someone to hear and understand that they desperately need a Savior. And it's only the Holy Spirit that can enable us to say yes to receiving Jesus as our own Savior and our own Lord. Friends, it's a gospel of grace. It's all about what God does for us. It's never about what we do, what we earn, what we deserve. But we live in a world that's all about, I have my rights, I deserve it. He's trying to get at a point. They believe the same thing then. He's trying to let them understand, listen, friends. It's never been about you in the first place. It's always about our great God. And this salvation, he's saying, has always been God's plan. If you want to understand how great of a plan it is and how much God loves you, he says, understand that before the world was created, he put the plan in place. He told all the prophets before he ever did it. He himself spoke to them saying, this is what's going to happen. It's always been. Now notice how Peter ends this section about our great salvation. Kind of an interesting statement at the very end. Look what it says. My Bible is a dash, and then it says it. Things into which angels long to look. Remember what his topic is. Why is he writing about? He's writing about trying to get us to understand the awesomeness, the greatness 
of our salvation. As to this great salvation that would cause you to rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. As to this salvation, he says, last comment about it, things into which angels long to look. Imagine this. Angels who have been in God's presence from ages past. Who have seen God speak our world into existence. Can you imagine that? The angels were there when God said, let there be light. When God says, let's make animals in every type. Let's cause the trees to grow. Let's separate the sea and the land. They were there. They witnessed all of it. Angels who had seen God speak our world into existence, who had seen God create countless galaxies. And you keep looking out further. You keep finding there's more. They'd seen God speak it all into existence. And what's it saying is, is they are watching, have been watching. They're, it says things in which angels long to look. And the, the term there really means like crouching and watching. And I kind of imagine it's almost like there's, a, there's an edge of a cliff and they're, they're leaning over, kind of the, the term used there in the Greek. They're leaning over and they're peering and they're watching that these angels are marveling at seeing lost humanity find salvation by grace. We flippantly talk about it like it's nothing. It says angels who've been around for as long since they're created also, but God created them before us. The angels are marveling at seeing lost humanity find salvation by grace. They are watching and have been watching as one by one men and women, boys and girls, hear the gospel, hear the good news, and they find Jesus and they find life in Christ through Jesus. That by the activity of the Holy Spirit, these men and women turn from the lies of the devil and submit to the loving lordship of Jesus as their Savior and their Lord, and they're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and they're given eternal life. And it says the angels, are they're looking at it, and they're marveling at the things that they see as it happening, things into which angels long to look. Now, friends, that ought to make us think. That ought to make us think. Am I marveling? At my salvation. If I say, tell me about your salvation, would anybody in the room say, well, it, I, my salvation is something, it's so great that I rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. I don't know. Am I marveling at my salvation? Am I marveling that it's all by grace? That Jesus had planned it out before the world ever began. And the evidence of it is, he told this prophet thousands of years ago, here, by my spirit, write this down. Because 2021, a bunch of people in Port Washington, Wisconsin are going to be gathered together and you're going to be reading it and go, oh my goodness, we're not just making this stuff up. We can look at this book that's thousands of years old and it says it's exactly what happened and this is exactly what happened and it wasn't just one guy, it was this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy all throughout the Old Testament, all these prophets saying this was going to happen and it says they had no idea what they were writing about. They say carefully, we're trying to figure it out and they just realized it wasn't for us, it was for the future and we are the future. We are now. Am I marveling that it's all by grace? Am I marveling at the Holy Spirit? And this is what friends think of this. Am I marveling? I'm marveling at this. Am I marveling that any one of us can speak the good news about Jesus and God could use us to help change somebody's life by the power of the Holy Spirit? Are we marveling at that? That it's never about us? 
It's also the Spirit of God speaking through preachers. It doesn't mean pastors. It means the, the people of God. You know what the word evangelism really means? It means gossiping the truth. The Greek word, that's what it means, gossiping the truth. It means you're gawking. It doesn't mean proclaiming it like this. It means that as I'm sitting with somebody, I'm talking about it. Do, you, do we marvel at the fact that the Holy Spirit wants to work through us and I can tell my friends and my family and my coworkers and my neighbors and they may or may not see, understand it right now because they might not be responding with the Holy Spirit's activity that's helping them see and hear? But I can be the mouthpiece to tell somebody about Jesus and that they can say yes to him and their lives can be transformed from, the, from darkness to light. And they can be in Christ and all this marvelous salvation is done there, now theirs. Not because of me, but because of him doing it through me. Are we marveling at that? That's what Peter's trying to get us to look at today. He's saying marvel at this amazing salvation that you have. That's what he wants to accomplish. To make us marvel at what God has done for everyone who is a follower of Jesus. He wants us to be amazed as to this salvation. So that when we walk through a world where a bunch of square pegs and round holes, and it gets tiring. And does it? It does. It does. It gets tiring. You're like, am I the only sane person on the planet? You ever feel that way? Like, am I the only sane person that can see how dumb that decision was? You know, politically or whatever. Am I, is everybody else nuts? You feel that way. You say it to each other in private, right? Because we can see with the eyes that Jesus helps us to see. We see, we're like, but it doesn't mean we can change it. He didn't tell them, oh, by the way, you're going to change the whole world. He says, no, you're going to be square pegs in a round hole. But guess what? Marvel at your salvation. Understand that God is using your trial of it today to make you better. That was week two. Understand who you are in Christ that you are, that you are, a, you are a, an alien who's chosen by God to live in this time at this place, and he's going to speak the truth through you. He's saying, listen, you can stand on all these things. These are things that are immovable. You know, countries come and countries go. For sure, political parties come, political parties go. That's unstable. Stock markets rise and stock markets fall. Unstable. But Peter's going, this stuff is a rock. This stuff's not changing. You can stand on this so that when you're, if you look a square pig in a round hole, you're not looking at what am I losing? You're looking, no, you don't get it, friends. This is what I've got. What I've got is eternal and unstaving. Are we amazed by his amazing grace? That's what Peter's trying to get at. If you are, this is Peter's goal. If you are amazed, then his contention is that the difficulties you walk through will be, min, will be, will be manageable. He doesn't say they'll be gone, he says they'll be manageable. He says, you keep your eyes on the God of marvelous grace, and you can walk through it. There's another thing that we should ask ourselves today. Have we responded to that voice of the Spirit of God in our, in our souls, saying that this amazing grace for this life with Jesus is for every one of us? Have we said, yes. Yes to Jesus. Yes, I want your life. Yes, solve the dilemma. Help forgive me of my sins. Yes. We know this. We can do that only one way. That if there's something inside of us that's saying a hunger to say yes, it's because the Holy Spirit of God is doing an activity in your spirit causing you to be able to do that. 
That's what Peter's getting at today. And I would just contend this on a, on a beautiful end of June day in a world that God created and we're talking about his marvelous grace. There's no better day in the world than to say, if you haven't yet, Jesus, it's that thing inside of me. I haven't seen you. That's what he said. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. How? Only by the activity of the Holy Spirit making him real to you. If you're going, I want to say yes to Jesus, that you do that today. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to just, on behalf of our church family, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you enabled Peter by the Spirit to lay out this really uh, clear thing. He's, he's laying out this foundation for us so that when we feel like we don't fit in the world around us, that we can understand what things we have and things that allow us to stand strong and not just to survive, but to thrive, to go forward, to make it, um, to accomplish your work in this world. And Lord, thank you that you inspired Peter so that you could inspire us by your spirit through his work, through what you inspired him to write. And Lord, I pray for every person in this place today, Lord, that as, as we are sitting here and we're thinking about our great salvation, that somehow, Lord, something would stir inside of us. And we'd be amazed. Maybe we came in just really sad today. We came in really down today. We came in really distracted today. That, Lord, in the moments that we're together, we've already had in these moments right now, that you would somehow help our eyes to see and our ears to hear. And we would just be amazed at what you've done for us, that it was always all your plan toward us, that you actually care about us and you did it to reach us so that we could be with you. And that, Lord, we'd marvel at that, that we'd walk out of here with a skip in our step because we would know, oh my goodness, God saved me and is saving me. And we'd be like, we'd be amazed. Those are praying today and our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online and you've never said yes to Jesus. But as we looked in this, the, the Bible today and you've seen as we've talked about and explained it, that your ability to say yes is only because of the activity of the Holy Spirit within you. And that your desire to say yes didn't come from you. It came from him stirring your spirit and your heart so that he could solve the dilemma in your life of lostness. If you know you're lost today, you know you're without Jesus. And that thing inside of you, that's something inside of you saying, man, my heart's racing, my palms are sweating, something's going on, I need this, I know I need it. If that's going on in your spirit today, I want you to respond. I want you to say yes to Jesus. And I want you to do it. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you. It's not really about me. I just want to, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If that's you this morning, no one's looking around. I want you just to raise your hand up. I'm the only one looking. When I see your hand, I'm going to tell you to put it right back down. Just raise it up. I just want you to say, I'm, I'm making an action today. All right. Sitting at home. All right. You can put your hand down. Both of you. I see you. Great. Put your hands down. 
not going to embarrass you, I promise you. Just, I just want you to have a chance to respond. Not to me, the Holy Spirit's doing the work. I'm just giving you a chance to respond. Anybody else here or at home? I'm going to invite the whole church right now to pray together. We're going to all pray out loud. Those of you who raised your hands, I want you to pray this. There's no magic words. Remember, this is activity of the Holy Spirit. We're just cooperating with Him. I want you to, I want you to just pray along. And we're all going to pray it. So you're not, you're not singled out. We're all going to pray. And what you're simply doing is you're asking God to come into your life in, in, in a real powerful way. Jesus coming into your life. So let's all pray this way. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you for your plan from ages past where you gave your life for me. And today, I acknowledge that something's happening inside of me. That you are calling my name. And today, I want to respond. I say yes to you. I want to be your follower. I want to be your child. I need the junk of my life washed away. Forgive my sins. Wipe away my past. Give me a new life from this moment forward. So Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. But I don't know what that means. So I'm asking for your help. Lead me every day as I walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer here today or you did it online and you're watching. I'm going to challenge you to do one thing at least before you go to bed tonight. I want you to tell somebody that you know walks with Jesus, knows Jesus. I want you to tell them, today I said yes to Jesus. Here's why. Because I'm not going to tell them. I'm not telling them. It does two things. Number one, it cements it in. Because the same way there's a Holy Spirit, that the only reason you responded is because something inside of you was drawing you. That's the Holy Spirit of God. The same way the Holy Spirit is drawing you, we believe in the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in angels. We talked about angels looking. We also believe in an evil angel called the devil and, and his evil angels. There's, there's good fighting bad. Good's greater. Good's going to completely destroy bad, but right now, good and bad are are in a war. They're in a war for your soul. That's what they're in a war for. And so right now, the Holy Spirit, you respond to the Holy Spirit, and, he's, and, you're, and, he, and the angels are going, another one! More! They're peering over the edge. The Bible says, actually says this, there's more joy in heaven over one person who says yes than 99 who are already there. And multiple people said yes today. So the angels are going, my goodness, at Portview Church, again this week, which is like every week. If you bring your friends and family friends, I'm telling you, they come to Jesus but you got to bring them. Because the Spirit of God speaks to them. And the angels are going, more people again at Portview. This is awesome. That's what's going on. The Bible says the angels are having a party. It literally says that. So they're having a party right now. But the, but the enemy of your soul, the devil is going, another one. Let's convince them it never happened. 
the Spirit speaks inside of you, the enemy also speaks that way silently. Somehow, I don't know how it works. You're going to say, ah, oh, it wasn't real. He coerced you. Did I coerce you in the slightest bit? No. I said, I take no credit. It wasn't coercion. And so you tell somebody what it does. Number one, it cements it in like, no, this is real. On this day, the 27th of June, I said yes to Jesus because he called my name. It's real. You can write it down in your journal. It's real. It does that. First thing. The second thing it does is this. It kind of gives that other person permission to see how you're doing. Because the Bible says when you come to Jesus, no matter how old you are, you're a baby. It says you're starting off brand new. And what I know about babies, I know my grandkids, they need people to take care of them. They need somebody to feed them and take care of them and nurture them and help them grow and tell them no and tell them yes. Well, that's why God created the body of Christ. We take people, no matter how old they are, they're brand new in Christ, and we help them grow. And so you tell that other person who's a believer, they're going to they're gonna kind of watch out for you. They're going to kind of say, hey, did you, let's find you a good church where people can help you grow. Not an advertisement for our church. You might not even be from around here. But a good church with other people who care for you. And they're going to check up on you. How you doing? So you tell that other person, last week somebody came to me and said, Pastor, you said that actually two weeks ago. You said that, and they had their nephew in church. And he said, later on in the day, the phone rang. The nephew said, I just want to tell you. I said yes to Jesus today at church this morning. They're like, Pastor. You know, they brought him. They said yes to Jesus at church. So that's why you tell somebody else. God called you by name. He's not going to let you go. But we got to walk with him. We can walk away. He doesn't want us to. And he'd give other people to help you. That's why the church exists. That's why the church exists. It only exists because we got nothing else to do on Sunday morning. It exists because we need one another to help each other walk this journey with Jesus. Amen? Let's stand together. Just close with a great blessing that the Lord gave to Aaron for the priests. Then if you need prayer, want prayer, We'll be up here to pray with anybody who needs that. Don't forget that right in a few minutes, anybody interested in launching Royal Rangers and Girls Club, we're thinking about doing it, not 100% decided. I got, but all interesting, you know what? I got, I got probably five or six people who aren't here today who said, hey, I can't be here today because I'm on vacation. Different people, I want to be involved. If you want to be involved, we're in room, meeting in room 11 through the, to the other building, through the connector in the first big room on the right. Um, to see who's involved, if interested. If people want to be interested in starting this ministry for just boys and just girls, kind of in our crazy culture, and say, let's do something just boys and just girls, I think it's probably an appropriate thing right now. So if you're interested in being involved in that, come to that. We're just going to have this talk, see who's involved, ready to be involved. It'll be just a few minutes. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you, friends. Have a wonderful day celebrating God's goodness, his wonderful, amazing grace. God bless you.